Magandang araw, podmates. Howie Severino muli na nagpapaalala na nakakatalino ang mahabang attention span. May kasama na naman tayong dakilang Pilipina, si Marian Pastor Rosas, tagapagtatag ng mga museo, curator, thinker, cultural critic, at marami pang iba. Magandang araw sa iyo, Marian. Nice to see you. Magandang araw. Uh, nakakatuwa na inimbita mo ako dito. <laughs> well, thank you for making the time. I only see you now in glossy magazine photos. No? Oh my goodness. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about this recent Vogue magazine feature. They glammed you up along with other uh, distinguished ladies. no? And, um, uh, you know, that feature about you covered... You know this broad sweep of your your interest. I, in fact, I've known you for a long time, but I I learned uh, a number of uh, things I didn't know about you. you know? So that's a credit to the to the magazine and and its writers. You no, know? so uh, anyway, uh, among your many hats, you no, know, uh, the first one that is always listed is curator. Curator. You no. Know? So first question: uh, What is a curator in a nutshell? Mabuti tina nang mo. Ganito, kasi confusion, di ba? Akala, interior designer, akala, akala namang arkitekto, pwede sila mag-curate. Pwede naman siguro, pero kailangan uh, sila sa ibang disiplina. Pero ang mahalaga, halimbawa, ihambing natin sa interior designer. Pag interior design, kahit ano pwede, di ba? Ang limitasyon mo lamang ay kung anong gusto ng kliyente mo o kung ano yung type of film mo, kung saan ka papunta uh, bilang isang, gano'n na nga, alagad ng sining. Ang curatorship ay hindi ganung kalibre. Hindi siya hindi mo maaaring gawin ang gusto mong gawin. Dahil pag ikaw ay nag-curate ng isang uh, pagtatanghal ng isang uh, exhibit o museo, ang importante ay meron kang tinatawag nating thesis, meron kang argument, meron kang gustong ilahad. So, imbis na isulat mo sa isang aklat, ginagawa mo yon nilalahad mo ito, inihahayag mo ito sa pamamagitan ng mga gamit, ng mga katangsining, uh, mga artifacts, at kung ano-ano pa. So, you are working with space. You're not working with the page of a book. So, ang halimbawa ang gusto mong sabihin ay the 1950s was our most American period in the Philippines. Halimbawa, yun ay argument mo. Gusto mong sabihin yon Gagawa ka ng exhibit para maipakita mo na tama ang iyong argumento. Na ipapakita mo mga kung ano-anong galing sa 1950s, maaring newspaper articles, maaring uh, mga refrigerator ng araw na yon, maaring kotse ng araw na yon, maaring mga personalities ng araw na yon, di ba? Uh, para maipamulat mo sa iyong audience na parang yung 1950s dapat natin pag-aralan kasi Amerikano-Amerikano tayo noon. Ang halimbawa lang yon, hypothesis lang yon. Pero that's an example of you have an argument uh, to propose to the public. Ganun po ang curator. Hmm. But it's a profession, ano? Kasi, you know, you identify yourself as a curator. But parang wala ako masyadong alam na curatorship uh, major sa college. How did you become a curator? Kami yung mga nauna. So, hindi kami nanggaling sa pag-aapal o pagsasanay. Ngayon may doctorates, of course, no? But uh, when I began 50 years ago, there was no such thing. So, uh, para kami yung uh, 001 So how did you end up as a curator? And a curator specifically of museums and big exhibits? Yes. Fifty <laughs> years ago, it was really 1974. I graduated from Arts of Hawaii. Uh, I really wanted oh, to... Martial law, no? 
martial law. Ngayon, pag nag-graduate ka ng communication arts, actually, dalawa lang ang iyong posibilidad eh. Kung 1974 ka nag-graduate, either you become part of the um, of the Marcos machinery, the propaganda machinery, um, or you uh, you belong to entertainment. Neither of which was really interesting to me at that time. Now, yung mga kaibigan ko naman, diba, hindi nag-underground na din sila. So, wala silang profession, diba? Or, mahirap, mahirap ang mga desisyon. You're 20 years old, nag-decide ka, hindi ko gusto ito, hindi ko gusto yan. Uh, so, kailangan ko magtrabaho. So, I actually walked up the ramp of the cultural center and asked if there was a... center? Okay. Yes. I actually asked kung may vacancy. Uh, I got hired uh, that day in 1974. I was like a new grad. Uh, I was asked to write a paper immediately on a work of art, and they accepted me. So I became a curator in 1974. That, that actually makes mm -hmm. me the oldest curator in the Philippines now. Yeah, but just just to refresh, no? I mean, 1974, the Cultural Center and many other cultural yeah cultural institutions were controlled uh -huh. by Imelda Marcos. And in fact, kasi nabanggit mo yung propaganda ng Marcos regime. No? I mean, it was kind of an extension of that, right? That's correct. Pero ang, ang pakiramdam ko kasi halos wala kang kuwang eh. Uh, so, humanap ako ng parang tingin ko. Nung, hindi ako nagtagal, ha? Three years lang ako. Uh, uh -huh mas madugo siguro kung nasa National Media Production Center ko. Mm, okay. Or I'm yeah. sure it was harder. Yeah. So it became oh. my first job oh. and it's still my it's still mm. my work today. Yun, doon ako nagsimula. Wow. Okay. Well, obviously you've, you've done well. No? But just in the generic sense, no? kasi when you say curate, parang, uh, I mean, everyone needs to curate, di ba? I mean, it's not just a profession, but in the generic sense, you cur you curate things so which you put on Instagram, right? You cannot put everything on your social media. You cannot include uh, uh, everything. So in a way, parang in a generic sense, eh, you know, everyone is a curator. We're all like choosing what's important to us or useful to us in this vast universe of uh, information okay. or uh, or things that can be that can be valued. Ngayon, yung sinasabi mong definition of curation or curatorship ay gano'n na nga, parang lahat na, pwede mo curate, pwede mo curate yung meal sa, sa aeroplano, etc. Everything is curated mm. because the idea is that you form things para magkaroon ng isang dating o isang mensahe o isang kwento. Alright. But that is not a curatorship that I I entered and I'm still practicing mm. because uh, I entered the scene, the art scene in the 1970s Ah, uh, panahon ito ng uh, the post-colonial moment kumbaga when modernity was shifting and uh, modernity was being criticized uh, and I'm still a critic of the modern uh, to this day kasi doon ako pinanganak kumbaga noong period na yon. So, nagkataon ba na nandoon sa cultural center yung pinakamatitigas ang ulong artist? It's very strange. Very very strange. Uh, and um ang natutunan ko nung maagang panahon na yon ay ang curation is an ethical profession the questions you are answering are not yours uh, it belongs to particular communities and um siguro mas madali kong maipaliwanag sa iyo kung sasabihin ko na bawat project na sisimulan ko meron akong tal meron akong tatlong tanong sa sarili ko and I learned this very early and I still do it now. The first question I ask myself is, kaninong kwento ang gusto kong ikwento? Kanino ito? In other words, for whom? For what? Etc. 
Pangalawang tanong is, if I tell this story, sino ang napapawi? Sino na-erase? And, and these are really ethical questions. My third question to myself is, who gives me the right? Sino nagbigay sa akin ng karapatan? To decide which story is more important than another story. So it's an it's an ethical practice because you want to be able to be um, free of being uh, number one uh, bayaran. Alimbawa, may humingi sa akin ng museum sa mining industry. Alimbawa, no? Siyempre, uh, tatanungin ko is, ano bang gustong mangyari ng mining industry? No? Papabango ba itong mga ito? Gusto ba nilang uh, maganda ang dating nila sa lipunan? Uh, ito ba mga ito ay uh, gagasto sa malaking pera dahil napakapangit ng reputasyon ng mining industry? May hirapan ako doon. Hmm. So that is actually not the kind of use of the word curation today. But I continue to practice it because this is the global practice of curatorship. It's not it's not curating a you know a menu. It's uh, unless you're curating a menu to make uh, an important moral point, maybe about slaughtering animals. Maybe maybe yeah, that's a curatorial mm-hmm. exercise. Mm-hmm. But uh, curation is about dealing with uh, with moral questions. What is a story? Yeah, yeah valid for an entire society or for a small town. Yon. I want to ask you about a particular project that you've been mentioning to me. Itong museum project mo sa Basilan. Kasi, yeah. you know, yeah, you identify yourself as a curator by virtue, no? Introduce yourself as parang uh, tagatatag ng uh, mga museo, no? You pa- you you set up museums, no? Yes. And you say it in a very matter-of-fact way as if it's so easy, no? But uh, we know how big that those kinds of projects are. But you're, you're setting one up in Basilan. And, yes. uh, you know, as we all know, as many people know, that Basilan is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the, you know, a very positive... Uh, uh, cultural reputation. Let's put it that way. The only times I've been to Basilan, in fact, is to cover conflict. No, I mean That's there was right. a major hostage taking there about 20, yeah. 20 plus years ago. My mga firefight. It's well known for harboring uh, this and that uh, rebel group. You know? so, so why Basilan? Okay, number one is I. Uh, the reason I make museums is because. Nung hindi na ako ma-employ, I mean, I'm really totally unemployable already because ang tigas ng ulo ko eh. So, I decided that I was going to set up a corporation and I was offering the corporation to make museums. So, it is in this capacity that I've been making museums all over the place. One of my last projects was BARM, Bangsamoro Autonomous Region in Muslim Mindanao, which was um, the organization, well, it's the juridical entity that followed ARM. Um, okay. Which is the autonomous region. autonomous region. Yes. Um, mahabang kwentuhan kung bakit naging barn pero nagkaroon ng referendum, mm, yeah. uh, nagkaroon ng, uh, ng de facto a sub-state. Kumbaga, no? Uh, so, hiniling sa akin na gumawa ng museum sa capital, sa Cotabato City, sa Sharif Kabungsuan uh, Center, complex. Matagal na kasi akong involved sa Mindanao pero nakakatuwa yung pagkakataon na makagawa ng museum sa Muslim Mindanao. Ngayon, marami ako naging kaibigan na ngayon ay silang namamahala sa maraming lugar sa Mindanao. Isa na doon ang Isabela na ang mayor na nahalal ay kaibigan ko. So okay. tinapot niya ako 
ang sabi niya, gawa naman tayo dito. Kasi kung baka natapos okay. ko na yung overall farm story, no? Mm-hmm. Um, bago natin puntahan ang Basilan, gusto ko lamang paliwanag kung ano yung curatorial plan noong barn museum. Gusto kong ipagdiinan o bigyan ng diin ang kung paano nanatili, kung paano nagpunyagi yung ordinaryong Muslim. Hindi ko gustong itutok mm-hmm. sa mga bida. Hindi ko gustong itutok sa mga uh, leader. Kasi kilala natin natin ang leader on either on many sides, di ba? Uh, very covered yan sa media. Pero gusto kong uh, ipakita doon sa museum ng lalo na bagong tatag ang barn. O paano sila nakasurvive yung iba't ibang ordinaryong Muslim. So yun ang, yun ang aking uh, ginawa. Mabuti't uh, andun siya, nakatayo siya, nakakaaliw. Um, and so, I, I can go so, On concrete terms, I want to ask you about this Basilan Museum. So that, yes. I mentioned that, you know, it's Basilan has a... Let's put it this way: a colorful history, yes. not just cultural, but yes. political. Mm. And there's there's been a lot of a conflict there, uh, you know, banditry and terrorism, etc. No, yes. so in curating a Basila museum, are you going mm. are you, are you going to include you know that maybe the the more tortured part of of their recent history? I mean, it you know the scary part. Abu Sayyaf was active there for a while. The Burnham couple. Uh, were uh, hostage there, uh, and then there was this uh, t- this in- incident in um, uh, Namitan, uh, this uh, notorious incident in Namitan, diba? where uh, I mean, there were more hostages that were taken, the... and there was a major firefight. Sure, mm-hmm. um, and it's just coming out of it. Ngayon lang sila lum- uh, nakakaraos, kumbaga, dun sa period na yon. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to clarify, the museum mm-hmm. is for Isabella de Basilan, the city, uh, not Basilan. Okay. Where- we're still dreaming of a Basilan Museum. But this is for one I see, I see. place. So mm-hmm. this is a very interesting moment in time and a, a very interesting uh, place. Uh, number one, uh, Isabella de Basilan did not choose to belong to Barm. It rejected. Mm-hmm. It kasali. Administratively, sa Pilipinas, kasali siya sa administration ng Sabonga Peninsula. Uh, number two, it is a Christian-majority city. Mm-hmm. in a yes. Muslim-majority province. So that's mm-hmm. very interesting on its own. Now, as you know, Basilan, uh, in the referendum, decided to go with uh, being under Barm. So it's a strange situation where okay. we have this Christian-majority town in a Muslim-majority <laughs> province, and administratively, <laughs> administration, yung isa, Barm, yung isa, Sambuanga. All right. But very interestingly, they elected a Muslim woman mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I told my friend, and that's Mayor Hataman, Mayor City Hataman, very interesting moment in time. Maglagay tayo ng museum to cross-cultural understanding. Ating ipaliwanag kung sino-sino ang tao dito, mm-hmm. bakit sila nandito, ano ba ang pinagsimulan uh, ng alitan, ng awayan, uh, and all of that. Now, I would like to also point out that a historical narrative is not necessarily, it's not the only kind of narrative you can curatorially present. You can present mm-hmm. other uh, formulations, other frameworks, na hindi history. 
Alright, ang importante muna dito sa gagawin, sa ginagawa ko na ngayon sa sa Isabela is to bring out things that people might find uh, surprising but also the people in Isabela might find ah kami yan talaga. Number one, labing uh, 6 na wika ang winiwika sa Isabela. So nandiyan yung yakan which is not the majority. Um, and then there's all the uh, Sama languages. As you know, there are about seven Sama languages. So, ang, ang madami sa Isabela ay Sama Dilaot, which we know as Bajau, and Sama um, Bangingi, um, which had a colorful history, which no Bangingi right now remembers. Okay. Uh, and then you have, obviously, Chabacano. Chabacano. Yes. Chabacano, no? Chabacano. Malapit lang sa Zamboanga City. Yeah, in fact, Isabella always thought of itself as Chabacano. Always thought of itself as Zamboanga. So there's a cultural, um, a culturally interesting thing there. Even psychologically, mm-hmm. of Isabella. Mm-hmm. They did not yeah, think yeah. they were part of Basilan. They don't okay. actually go to Basilan, even if they are in Basilan. Alright? Yeah, that's, that's very, interesting. very interesting uh-huh. and very complicated. Pagkatapos, siyempre yung mga rubber industry uh, nagdala yan ng, ng lahat ng klaseng tao. Ang mga rubber industry uh, mm-hmm. um, people in, are, are, you know, uh, Ilocanos, Piligaynon, uh, mm-hmm. Cebuano. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, just, uh, when is this opening, by the way? Opening, um, uh, most likely in the early part of next year. But uh, okay, so a little bit now. So yes, there was Abu Sayyaf, but then there's this really long hugot, di ba? Ang lalim ng hugot talaga. Hindi na din nila naalala. Yung pinagmulan, ang daming tao, ang daming kung saan-saan galing na tao, na marginalize yung yakan, uh, na marginalize yung mga bajaw at saka mga ano. So, oh, you know, it's like, let's, let's look at what happened to this island, you know, over the last uh, 100 years. And, and mm-hmm. even before we start talking about the current troubles, Because it's just coming out of those troubles, di ba? Yes. Sino naging abusaya? Sino naging abusaya? Mga yakan sila. Sino ang yakan? Yes. Bakit sila nag-kumbagan? Nag-governmental nag-kumbagan, no? So this museum is going to help put all of that into context, no? It hopes to. It hopes to. I mean, you can't do much with in terms of financial, di ba? Kasi it's a fourth-class city. It doesn't have that much money. Yeah. I want to ask you then about that. Let's also zoom out from Basilan and talk about museums in general. I mean, we're, I mean, Basilan, of course, is Isabella and Basilan, they're very poor. I mean, Barm itself is poor. I mean, the country is poor. So, why build museums at all? Why are these worth spending money on versus like spending the same money on hospitals and ayuda and food security. So why are museums important? Okay, zoom out tayo. Hindi ko sinasabi na kailangan mamahalin lahat ng museum. As you can see, you can build a museum in a place like Wasilan and it can serve its purpose for a very precise curatorial plan which is cross-cultural understanding. And it's probably for them more than it is for tourists, di ba? Although, dumadating na ang tourists. Okay. But let's look at the big picture. Bakit hindi na lang yung kung anong gagastusin mo sa museum, kung let's say may manaki kang project, bakit hindi mo na lang gastusin sa poverty alleviation and all of that? Now, the one part of me is a policy analyst because I am part owner of a think tank sa Brain Trust. So we run analysis. We were authors of the poverty alleviation 
well, poverty alleviation study for the World Bank, for example. So drawing from that, I can see from a cultural perspective, because cross-cultural is brain trust, which is my other mm-hmm. company, uh, I can see that the decisions <laughs> are really not informed by accurate uh, information about the Filipino. Mm-hmm. But madami tayong mga assumptions na nagkakamali. Ang tingin ko, and I have been uh, really working extremely actively through this think tank to understand that a lot of our policy making is not based on accurate uh, accurate archaeology, accurate history. There is there is a huge gap between uh, scholarly work and policy work. Walang organic links. The only organic links are in the field of economics and maybe a little bit in the field of sociology where the academics in economics are actually the policymakers in the economic life of the country. There is no organic link between, let's say, the archaeologists in the Philippines and policymakers. Uh, none. And therefore, we run into all sorts of tro- uh, problems with, for example, language policy, we have a lot of problems with the national narrative. Uh, now, the national nar- narrative is a dangerous one as far as I'm concerned because it's not informed by new science, by updated science, and it's not informed by updated critical thinking. A lot of uh, a lot of the parts of our national narrative is actually racist, and so um, ma- mahirap ang ating policymakers. So, ang tingin ko, you can actually keep going with our poverty alleviation um, procedures, and and you know, with a government like ours today, you probably are going to have sasablayan um, kasi unang uh, unang kokonti ang magagaling na policymakers dito sa administration ito at saka yung Duterte. But I'm saying that even with the best of our policymakers, kasablay tayo sa culture. And if that goes on and on and on, then we can keep throwing money into uh, all of these really gut problems and never, uh, never see the end of it. Because ang, ang formulations and ang assumptions are not uh, informed by updated science on the Philippines. Let's say you create a law like Indigenous Peoples' Rights Act, IPRA, mm-hmm. 1992. So Ipra. that's recent, right? We should know better because uh, while I believe that politically IPRA is, is correct, it should, ha- it should have happened when it happened. However, uh, on... Um, Ang definition doon, isa sa mga definition ng indigenous people is uh, the historically marginalized. That is also correct. There are historically marginalized people in the Philippines. Ang mahirap dyan is paano tayong dalawa, how we indigenous tayo eh. We're indigenous Tagalogs, di ba? We speak correct. Oo. We speak a language. Now, a problem in the Philippines is that we copied uh, indigenous people's um, struggles from other countries. For example, Australia, where the white people are literally culturally different from Aboriginal people. And, and, they, really, and they really came from another land. Diba? And they Ta- came from another land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ako, uh, yeah I, ako, I do not trace my roots anywhere else but the Philippines. Ito lang naman diba? tayo, diba? I, okay. Yeah, yeah. Although, so may, right, na. may na oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. But wala namang hindi halo dito eh, as many oh. of our scholars have pointed out. 
uh, I'll just give you another example. For example, um, First Nations ng Canada, they are really North Americans. They are really... And in China, the Yunnan people, yung mga Bai, mga Yi, mga Mong people, you know, they're not Han. They're not Han Chinese. All right. Now, what is the difference between an Ilocano and an Itneg? None. Similar language, similar ritual structure. Uh, ang pagkakaiba is about 400 years ago, the grandfather of one became a Christian and the other one uh, refused to become Christian. But there is no difference. So if you are not careful with uh, the impact of such words as IP, uh, in terms, for example, of racism, for example lang, ha, uh, akala natin iba silang lahi. Akala natin iba silang uh, tao. I have a dear, dear friend who's a mayor uh, in one of the Tagalog um, towns. I do not, she's a wonderful mayor and she's a wonderful human being. And when the whole Mama Sapano event, you know, exploded in media, she was literally crying to me and say, Bakit ba hindi bumalik na lang yung mga Muslim na yan sa Malaysia? <laughs> it's like these are our executives. These are our policy makers. Why, why can't we just understand uh, the the actual scientific work that is being done? We've had magnificent scientific work in the last 50 years. You can't sort that out. Nobody remembers that, as a matter of fact, the closest linguistic relative of the Tausugs are Cebuanos. Very close ang languages. Uh, Subbuhanons, people of the current, Tausugs, people of the current. Uh, the, the languages, we have 170 plus languages in the Philippines, they're all interrelated. Uh, these are all Austronesian languages. So I'm just saying that if we persist in, uh, well, in my field, what's called othering, uh, through administrative uh, frames and plans, then we are missing out on a lot. And when you use uh, indigenous people so-called as fodder for tourism, uh, you're not aware that there's a latent racism in it because there's a latent racism in the beginnings of the country, in the foundational, uh, in, in the foundational um, elements of the republic. Yeah, yeah. This is well. This is related to something else that you've been wanting us to do, which is to rethink uh, Filipino identity and our our origins. No, and in fact, you know, you're talk you're you're talking uh, you're mentioning uh, indigenous uh, in a context that that uh, I'm familiar with because my father, yun ang hugot niya. Ang, ang tatay ko tega tega negros no silay, and then. Uh, nung uh, yung nung nung was yung uh, Indigenous Peoples Rights Act and then uh, yung the, you know, IPs became kind of a popular term no Indigenous yeah. Peoples. My father was saying, how come I'm not considered Indigenous? Pag sinasabing Indigenous Peoples, I you know I I do not trace my my bloodline my my roots to another country. I'm I'm as Indigenous as the Igorots as the mga Itneg as you know all these other you know officially designated uh indigenous no, i'm you know 
my father represented the Philippines overseas, no, as a as a Filipino diplomat. So he 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 thought about these things, no. But you're making me think about it uh, again, no. Uh, and and it's and it's interesting. I'm saying Moren, it kind of reinforces a certain, yes. uh, certain uh, racist uh, racist stereotypes, racist um, history yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we've had, and uh, all because we're trying to mimic itong uh, the you know the way uh, a foreign societies have evolved where like you know, Australia and the United States where immigrants from mm-hmm. different parts of the world came to a land that was already occupied by right. native people, indigenous yeah. people in that area. Because indigenous became politicized. No, I mean, it became kind of a uh, a way of categorizing a particular, not even a um, uh, not even uh, peop- not even natives, because eh? I'm native, diba? So how should we be thinking about Filipino identity? Yeah. No, first let's think about um, what we should criticize, but we should be critical about in terms of narrating ourselves. And this is obviously the work of museums and books, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We've really failed to uh, to update the science, I think. But yung panahon ni Rizal, let's go back to the Illustrado. Uh, and as you can see from our discomfort with the overcoat right now, uh, is because uh, all of the people in the last 100 years who wanted to celebrate Rizal, and he should be celebrated. You can imagine I read most of his letters. Um, he should be celebrated. Uh, but the people who made the statues, the people who commissioned the statues, uh, the people who deified Rizal, uh, deified him as this Indio that went to no, not Indio, huh? Mestizo that went and used the overcoat. And he belonged, as a matter of fact, to a group of Filipinos who were um, prosecuting, so to speak, socially and culturally, the equivalence or the equality of uh, the colonized with the colonizer. Because such was the politics of the 19th century. Now, where does this politics come from? It does come from the beginnings of the concept of nation. And the concept of nation did, was not there forever. It's, you, you can date it as Benedict Anderson dated it. It was, uh, it was um, an 18th century concept of community. Now, why do I go there? Because the concept of nation arose, emerged in Latin America. And it arose there, if you follow Anderson, which is the most cited uh, book on the concept of nation. Uh, imagine communities. Imagine communities. It's a community that you imagine. You imagine yourself as part of that community. Why was this necessary in Latin America? It was because uh, there's a group of powerful people or becoming powerful at in the 18th century who were neither Castilla, they were not accepted as Castilla, they, they were not from, they were not born in Iberia, nor were they uh, Native Americans. They were mestizos. And mestizaje is vital to 19th century um, nationalism because it was born there. The nation as a concept was born with mestizaje. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, Nakaroon sila ng revolutions to become nations. So, you know, you had Simon Bolivar and then you had, you know, the Mexican Revolution, the Argentinian one, sunod-sunod, tuloy-tuloy. So I always say that while I'm not a historian, 
um, but I've been studying the shift in the late 19th century where um, you essentially had uh, the end of the American revolutions. So the American revolutions included all of that, New Mexico, Bolivia, Argentina, Uruguay, all of that. The last was the Philippine revolution. So while we were the first republic in Asia, we were also the last of the American revolutions, 1898. It was the last of the empire of Spain. It was Puerto Rico, Filipinas, and uh, Cuba, the last of mm-hmm. the of the Spanish uh, realm. Now, the people who who advocated nationalism advocated a nationalism that was Latino, meaning to say it emphasized mestizaje. So, Sila Rizal were mestizos, uh, and they were the emergent bourgeoisie. And the constitution that they created and the nation that they created essentially did not include what we now call IP. It was really the illustrator that took the what I well, call... Well, excuse me, just to clarify, lang, when you say mestizo, we're not talking about the usual connotation of mestizo today, which is... Like uh, like half Spanish or with Spanish blood. Na hindi naman mo kang European si Rizal. You're talking about he was more Chinese, di ba? Mestizo Chinese. Than, They're all mestizos. Uh, You're Chinese, but, but uh, let me just point out something that's very very important to point out. When Rizal um, signed the last document for his execution, because you sign a document uh, if you're going to be executed, <laughs> because you turn over your possessions to to the state. And you turn it over, just a footnote to history, you turn it over because um, the cost of your trial, you have to bear the cost of your trial. Um, so, pinirmahan ni Rizal na kukuhanin ang dapitan, kukuhanin, kasi kanya yun eh, kukuhanin yung kanyang bangka, meron siyang bangka, etc. And you know, it says Jose Rizal, and what what it said in the end under his name was Mestizo Sangle, because that was how he was considered. And this was his last signature, how he, he crossed out Mestizo Sangle. He mm. wrote Indio. Mm. I mean, this is stunning. It's his last mm. signature. Mm. Uh, so he, um, despite the fact that he belonged to what was called the Mestizo, uh, Mestizo Chinese, Mestizo Castilla, etc. May iba-iba namang grades yan eh. Gradated yan. But the whole idea, and that's why I use the word mesisahe, it's a culture. It's a culture that gives uh, cultural preference to, to mixed. Uh, as you know, Indonesia does not do that. And certainly Japan does not do that. They do not give cultural preference to mixed race. All right, but let's not go into race because race is a non-category. Uh, we shouldn't even use the word. But let's go back to Rizal. Uh, he did belong to that, that time. and. Uh, and the Philippine nation, um, in effect, because it was born so early, it was born in 1898. Um, it was born at the end of uh, the American revolutions. So there is a particular cultural nature to our uh, nationalism. And it really implied that the ITA, that the IEP today, that the Moro, we're actually not part of this thing called nation. We're still struggling with it up to now. Diba? 
just to fast forward and then related to that, uh, Marianne, no, I, uh, my first exposure to you actually was was as one of the leaders of this movement called Pagbabago. No? Oh yes, Pagbabago. Obviously, that means change. No, so what what needs changing, and then what should be what should what should be the product of that change? I I think if we can inform policy with science, particularly what's going on in you know archaeology in linguistics in anthropology uh, philippine studies it's like a huge amount of work that's been done by our uh, our scholars if there could if we could construct um organic links or make it organic uh, with policymakers with politicians uh, so that perhaps when we design things Whatever it is that we design, if we design, uh, let's say, poverty alleviation projects, if we design rice, uh, what we do with rice, if we de- whatever it is that we're designing for the country, then it could be based on some seriously solid data. I think that will help. I really think that will help. For example, we are now total. I'll give you a very good example from just right now. Uh, we are up and you know jumping up and down again about rice. Um, all right. I mean, all of my friends in Brain Trust, they know the ins and outs of this uh, this field. Uh, you know, whether the fact that we can never really be rice self-sufficient. They have the economics to, to bear that. Uh, I come in with the idea that we have like hundreds of varieties of upland rice which we should take care of. Uh, we should be entrusted by the world with the preservation of upland rice uh, varieties, for example. No? Uh, but what most people do not factor into policy analysis is the fact that Filipinos were not rice eaters. We lived for 4,000 years in this archipelago on root crops and fish. We were not even pig eaters except for ceremonies. Uh, and rice was ceremonial. It was for rice wine, it was for suman, which is only in the field. Did- but the rice that we're talking about, how did rice become, become such a political uh, plant? Uh, that should factor into the into the political decisions because rice is political. All presidents promise adequate rice, and we have not made it possible for us actually to be self sufficient in rice production. It's, it's too expensive for farmers to produce rice right now, and the expensiveness of that. I mean, I can go on and on. It goes into the mm-hmm. ninety nine of uh, Ferdinand Marcos and how. That was so heavily uh, invested in chemical fertilizers and in um, genetic, well, not genetically mod- modified, but uh, the 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 stock, the rice stock, you have to buy, or, or the Department of Agri- of uh, Agriculture has to give you the rice stock. So it changed in the 1970s. Uh, rice became uh, a political promise, but it was a political promise also earlier. Why is that? Because rice was what our colonizers wanted to eat. They wanted, they didn't have bread, they didn't have wheat. So all powerful people in the last 400 years were eating rice. And kamote culturally became, yun lang ang kinakain namin ng gera. Uh, yun lang ang kinakain ng mahihirap. Um, you know, turning your back on 4,000 years of sustainable agriculture. <laughs> uh, I, and that's what I mean by this do not factor into policy making. We could go back to Kamotes for crying out loud. 
I want to you know, ask you about this. You were quite uh, outspoken some time ago about uh, the wearing of gold jewelry na, <laughs> na vintage, na vintage, or it's antique. Na, na, tell us about that. No, Why, why were you a bit uh, upset uh, by uh, you know, a particular celebrity wearing uh, antique gold jewelry? All right, they're not just antiques. I mean, it's all right if you wear any kind of antique that you can lay your hands on, of course. But there is a law. Uh, it, it is the uh, the omnibus cultural bill that says that you cannot uh, you cannot dig out uh, grave sites with gold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only the National Museum uh, archaeologists mm-hmm. who, who should be digging this out. Now, why is this important? Um, there are two reasons for me. One is again science, We're just trying to find out who we are. And number two is a word that you and I use a lot. The word is impunity. All right. Uh, I find that this is entirely connected to impunity because impunity is not just a common. It is an entire culture mm-hmm. of impunity. Mm-hmm. All right. So the first one has to do with if you disturb a grave, it's known in archaeology all over the planet. You disturb a site, then you can't get the data. If you just you know, make kahig there and, you know, uh, break some, break bones, literally, of Mm -hmm. uh, people who died 500 years to 1,200 years ago. These are your ancestors, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you kind of dig around because they went to their graves with these gold things Mm -hmm. that covered their eyes Mm -hmm. and mouths and, you know, they they had funerary artifacts. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this cannot belong to individuals anymore. And the law says Mm -hmm. that. It does belong to all of us. You have no so you know origin it on gold jewelry it was taken from burial site and then yeah. worn at a, at an event tama bayon yeah i mean yeah. That, that's what happened yeah well it, it was recomposed so that eye covers and mouth covers were uh you know reassembled so that they become a piece of jewelry now uh, there's two things that uh, well i said two things one is you lose the science if you keep feeding the underground, um, the underground grave digging that's rampant in the Philippines. It's been rampant for about seven uh, decades, since the 70s. Um, we are very lucky that uh, the central bank has a collection and that uh, there was a Luxin collection, which is now in the Ayala Museum, that we can see mm-hmm. how fabulous it is. Uh, but now mm-hmm. we can't see much of it anymore because it just goes into the uh, traffic, uh, the trafficking of archaeological materials. All right. Mm-hmm. What what does what do you now miss? There are many things. There are many questions about uh, the gold. Gives us more questions right now than they give us answers because they're so incredibly well done. And I don't say this out of nationalism. I just say this as a mm-hmm. kind of hardcore, you know, art person, that it mm-hmm. is truly magnificent. Now, when you find something that's magnificent, you think immediately of kingdoms, right? Um, mm-hmm. Big things, Harry, mm-hmm. Reina, Princesa, etc. Mm-hmm. But we don't have archaeological evidence of kingdoms in this country. We don't have mm-hmm. any. Um, yeah, yeah, wala tayong mga Angkor Wat or Borobudur. Wala tayong uh. monumental art, di ba? We mm. actually have absolutely no evidence of an urban 
situation in our archaeological past, in the prehistoric past. Now, mm -hmm. uh, where did this stuff come from? How did this happen? How is our gold that's coming out of grave sites? Why are they so utterly beautiful? And I feel that you can't answer that question. You can't answer the question because everything has been disturbed. Um, is it possible like I am proposing? Uh, is there a theory? Is there a theory? Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you've theories. been guessing. Yeah, no, about, there, um, there are two theories. Uh, one is that Hindi... So, so Hindi nang galing sa kingdom, where could it have... Hindi kaya, you know, kaya ano yan, import? I mean, galing sa traders? Imported. Yeah, may nagsasabing imported. Yeah, not ours. Uh, mm -hmm. Number two is, yes, it's ours. Uh, because we still know how to make these things, except we don't make them as mm -hmm. as well uh, as what you can mm -hmm. see, the evidence of the graves, right? Um, and mm -hmm. so the other possibility is that we uh, we had kingdoms that we haven't discovered. And that's another that's mm -hmm. another proposition. Uh, mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, so well, we, after all this time, wala pang evidence niyan, na? Yeah, I, I doubt if we're going to find any evidence of some kind of Gurubadur or some, even some kind of city. Now, my uh, proposition is, my personal proposition is, is it not possible that another way of being human uh, happened in the Philippines that you can make such incredibly good things without kingdoms? That's my proposition. I can't answer it. But... You can see the rice terraces, for example, which is the only monumental thing on earth that is not a monument in the, you know, in the, uh, in the classic. It's a living thing. Well, one thing is it's a living thing. The other thing is that it is the only big thing on earth that was not made by slaves. So that, ganyang ka, ganyang kalaki. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. And that yeah. gives uh -oh. us something to think about. Uh, uh -oh. Uh -oh. And yeah, it's and something something to be proud of, actually. No, yes. so yeah, this brings so me to a to... Uh, to to continue with the gold. What about this yeah. gold? Uh, can't you have incredible things that don't come from kingdoms? Is that not possible? Um, but I can't answer that because the grave sites are all disturbed. The archaeologists mm -hmm. are always late. Uh, the National Museum is sira sira na yung grave site. Eh, Nauuna talaga yung ano yung mangkanaho. Okay. But my point number two is, just because you have a lot of money, um, you you can do anything. You have the impunity to 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 flaunt, flaunt the law mm -hmm. or to be ignorant of the law. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because the law yeah. is there to protect all of us. It's to protect our, our yeah. story as a people. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and we can't have our story as a people if you keep disturbing the sites. And and displaying mm -hmm. your your um, your ability to flaunt, and this really gets my goat. So I'm sorry, I'm a little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that brings me to a, a larger question, no? Because you've been uh, astute uh, observer and and commentator about the Filipino condition and the human condition as well, but in particular the Filipino condition. I want to ask you this, no? Because every time I'm driving around Metro Manila, you know, with its gigantic traffic jams, yung lack of courtesy, yung the, the homeless people, the poverty, and parang I've been seeing it all of my life here in, in Metro Manila. No, I, 
and, and, I, and then when I go overseas, you know, I can't help but think about how other countries have already solved some very basic problems, but we have not here in the Philippines. No? So granted, no, we have a lot to be proud of uh, in terms of our heritage and culture, and these should be exhibited in museums, uh, etc. No? I, I want to ask you, what's wrong with us? No? How, how come we can't organize enough to, to solve big common problems? Um, obviously, it's a kind of question that I should not even dare to have a you know a pat answer. I, I can't have a pat answer. I'm so opposed to uh-uh. pat um, and simplistic okay. answers. But uh, having said that, and um, hopefully that I do not make the mistake that I accuse people of mistaking of, of making. <laughs> uh, let me give it a shot. Everything that we've been talking about, the fact that you create a nation that essentially uh, does not look kindly on local culture. Uh, on on ourselves, uh, and in fact denies, and and the only places we can put for evidence of a traditional culture is to make them into posters for tourism, or make them sing and dance, which makes them even more abject, uh, or you know get designers to recreate their traditional clothing into contemporary clothing. That's about all we can. That's how we handle this. We do not see them as our our relatives. And we do see ourselves as um, the middle class and the upper class as patrons of this kawawang marginalized people. No, very few, uh, and I keep going back to the policy, very few policy makers make sure that you, you understand what dignity means when you're creating a project. Because if you create a project, for example, where you are asking them to become effectively a factory for clothes, um, then you are not allowing them any dignity. You're just making yourself feel nice because you're giving money to these people. So uh, a, a, a society that is built on uh, a very deep, what is the word that I'll use? Anxiety about the person in Bahag. An anxiety about the fact that we did not create kingdoms. Uh, an anxiety that can only solve itself by hanging on to Jose Rizal, who was brilliant. Um, and becoming, wanting to be him. Um, it's not bad to be Jose Rizal, but even Jose Rizal uh, turned his back on the native. Even he did. And you will see it in his letters. You will see it in his... Um, uh, in his description of the people exhibited at the Universal Exposition in Madrid who were from highland places. Now, mm-hmm. um, if we do not uh, address our essentially racist anxieties uh, about who is superior and who is not superior, who is, then we will constantly formulate our projects as a country without addressing the the deep-seated disdain for that which we think is not acceptable to the West or to the big countries on Earth, to civilized countries like China. So what do you do? Uh, you, you create cities where the sidewalks, oh, I mean, if you try to walk EDSA, on, on the sidewalks, you will know immediately that the street is not for you. It's not yours. You can get run over by a bus on EDSA uh, because 
because you're not supposed to matter. Only the ones with cars matter. And so that, then, then you have many, many, many cars because it, it you know, when, when you arrive at the middle class or arrive at the middle class status, then the first thing you think about is buying a car. And then that increases our, uh, it increases our problems with pollution and with roads and with traffic and all of that because a person without a car is a non-person in the Philippines. You're walking in the sidewalk and buses can run over you. You know immediately that the city is not yours. You know immediately that uh, that you don't belong to the people who own the country. Uh, and that you can you can think about that in terms of urban planning. You can think about that in terms of traffic. You can think about it in terms of um, how you know uh, the the people who are not considered civilized enough are traffic. I'm wondering though if that's a generalized uh, uh, attitude uh, on the part of of decision makers, no? Because, parang that's true, no? Yung yung that observation that you know small people don't matter, and that's why you know there are no sidewalks, uh, etc. But we're really referring to you know these public thoroughfares or public streets, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. But where there where the private developers are the ones making decisions, like you go to. Uh, Ayala Avenue or or BGC. The sidewalks are very walkable, di ba? I mean, pag ikaw pedestrian, feeling mo tao ka eh. Di ba? Yeah. And respeto ka. And in fact, uh, uh, like in BGC, you know, you go to Subic, for example, uh, uh, you know, uh, motorists generally follow rules, di ba? Otherwise, lagot sila. No? So, parang there seems to be a divide between itong ang uh, what's what's public space and what's what's private space or space that's controlled by private people so so just, on the one hand yeah it's cultural but it's also ano eh, diba? this whole this whole divide between but the, the what's public and what's private diba parang yung private would, pa yung nagiging mas makatao eh yes well I, but i wouldn't draw such a hard line because um you know the people who are well, private the, the private developers are obviously enlightenment creatures i mean they've done their they, they studied at Harvard. I mean, they know what's going on in the world in terms of the discussions about, you know, empowerment of everybody, etc. I mean, there, our people are up to date. The ones who are educated are up to date in all of that. And yet, uh, those beautiful places where uh, suburbia exists, uh, you cannot go there without a car. Um, it is an enclave. It's still an enclave. Uh, the rest of the people take a bus to Turbina. That's what we do. Um, and so it still depends on on, on the car. Uh, I'm quite clear about this because this happens to be something that I studied. Uh, I studied uh, Perth, Western Australia uh, for a doctorate that I didn't finish. And uh, I saw the development of that city because they, you know, Western Australia was selling iron ore to, to China like nobody's business. And so the city of Perth was just rising up in front of your eyes. However, if you study the way the urban planning was going, no Aboriginal can go to the places where there are yachts. There's no public mm-hmm. transportation. The roads are not made to go there. Uh, the roads are made to exclude you. So you can have apartheid without actually saying apartheid. You can actually plan your cities. Uh, and and the, private, uh, the private developers know that they could have this wonderful life as long as you cordon it off from the rest of the mess of the country. Uh, I, I'm not letting the private developers go just very quickly. Uh, it happens to be uh, something that I studied. 
And uh, I, I still think that the public sector is also, on the other hand, trying its best. But uh, in fact, Howie, if I study this a little bit further, uh, I, I'm very keen on how cities are born and how they evolve. Mm. I think you yeah. might find oh. a very strong argument about private sector developers driving two things simultaneously. Mm. One is beautifully laid out cities and the other is emphasizing the divides. Mm. I, I think mm -hmm. an argument can be mounted. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, again, zooming out. When you are already curating and building a museum 50 to 100 years from now, and oh, I'm assuming okay. you will still be an active curator then, no? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what what should be remembered about this time? Ano dapat yung, yung kinocurate mo about this time that should be displayed there, exhibited, so that Filipinos 100 years from now can learn something about our current period? I mean, what I mean, what's significant about what's happening, let's say, in the last 10, 20 years that, that many generations should should still I'll know about? I'll give you two answers. I'll give you two answers. One is something that I've already done with Bangsamoro. I remember I said that I, I was determined not to focus on the leaders, much however mm -hmm. important they are, but how ordinary people just survived 50 years of war. And, uh, for example... Uh, I found out that, you know, the the women whom Jamela Alindongan was helping in Marawi. Mm -hmm. The weavers, no? Yeah, they were not weavers before Jamela stepped in. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they didn't know anything about weaving. They learned weaving during the war, during the Marawi wow. siege. Uh, mm -hmm. And they were telling me that uh, they decided that they were just going to go into weaving because it makes them... Uh, like the sound of the bombing was every day and incessant. And so mm -hmm. if they were focused on weaving, which requires tremendous focus, then all of the sound of war sort of, you know, they, they can deal with it or it mm -hmm. disappears. And obviously mm -hmm. they also can make a few bucks, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when I was doing the museum in Barn, I said, that's your story. Those are the women who actually know how to make something that's a what they call today a growth potential or something that has hope in it, simply by focusing on something like weaving. Uh, and I, I'm not here to 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 be nostalgic about mm -hmm. weaving or to be romantic about such mm -hmm. stories, but such stories exist. Mm -hmm. So when I found out about that, I had uh, the armed people um, order all of the upholstery of the museum from those women. Uh, so that you know, it just feeds directly. So there's a little bit of a lifeline, right? So, so obviously the the people at Barm under of Arm they understood that, that this is a uh, this is a living connection. But yes. once that happened, then I found out that it also happened in Basilan in the 1970s when Basilan was being bombed and when Holo was being bombed. There were these women who started weaving as well. They moved to Sabuanga cities. They started selling weaving. There was no cash economy before that point. Cash economy entered in the 1970s when these women started dealing with war by weaving. Very interesting to me. But then apparently, as I went along making that museum, 
I realized that <laughs> it was happening with song, with musical forms, that they were not just psychologically assisting themselves and their communities through a terrible mm-hmm. time. Um, they were actually recording. They were the journalists. They were doing it through song. Uh, by the way, I found out that there is a kisa, which is a song form on Buddhako, which is a which was passed on uh, orally. All right, so that's one. Bu- Buddha, Buddhaho, the mountain in Holo. Yeah, Sama? where 600 people were massacred by Pershing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And, oh. And During is, the Philippine-American War. Oh, okay. There is an actual song uh, that mm-hmm. uh, there was like a recording of the event. All right. Mm-hmm. So 100 years from now, 200 years from now, I should like um, some understanding of how people in the Philippines manage this wreckage of a country to to do something uh, that's rather stunning. I mean, imagine starting to weave in the middle of a war or singing in the middle of a war. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to the Buddha. I found out from my friend, the mayor of Isabella City, that uh, one of her relatives uh, knew about the Buddha event, the killing of 600, and that the Kisa singer with her gabang, was actually annotating the war, annotating the murders during the, the time of the murders. And she was one of the last mm-hmm. to die on Buddha, uh, which means that it was passed on as a story. Uh, I, I tell myself, you know, if I find artists who have this kind of commitment to art, yeah. And you and and you have no and you you have I mean I I went to one of your exhibits in the Ateneo no yung Arete Museum which uh, memorialized through various installation and art uh, projects this you know the massacre another massacre that happened in Mindanao in the 1970s and then oh and then and and you've you've written about this you know so-called intersection of contemporary art and human agony. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, and I, I guess the, this this stretches back centuries, no? I mean, uh, you've had, uh, you know, Picasso doing the same thing uh, 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 when the, during the Spanish Civil War, and uh, I, and uh, you know, we and and it's still that's it's still a prized work of art up to now, and we we're still talking about uh, art from that period. Uh, so I guess that's what you're talking about now. One hundred years from now, you want that kind of art. You want that kind of uh, uh, these kinds of uh, works in a museum that people will will look at and, and remember how Filipinos you know, responded to like human agony, right? Like you and I responding to our circumstances today. I mean, you do your thing, <coughs> for example, with a tokhang, <coughs> and and I I uh, I would like to remember how people survived this time. Because we have so many friends who are doing this. Uh, mm-hmm. As much as there are evil people abroad in the Philippines, we have circles and circles of friends, Howie, who are really trying our best uh, under the circumstances. I would like it to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Why is memory so yeah, important? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, if your memory is incorrect or imprecise, if you, let's say you're overly focused, <laughs> Overly focused on the heroic figures. Uh, you're overly focused on 
you know, on the grand narratives of history. You forget that people like you and me survived this time. Um, the, the picture is not buo, di ba? The picture is not buo of who we have become through all of this, uh, who we have created ourselves in the middle of all of these conflicts. That's, to me, worthwhile uh, thinking about 100 years from now. Not because it's you and I, uh, but because um, the methodologist, if you, you know, we use just a very cold word, the ways we manage to create uh, lives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's important for people who are going yeah. to create their lives in the future. And it's probably going mm-hmm. to be a worse situation than ours. The next one has to do with what you began with before I think the recording began, which is climate change. It's going to be a bad time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no doubt yeah. about it. Uh, people okay. are going to die yeah. by the of thousands. We uh-huh. know that already. Okay. Philippines is going uh-huh. to go underwater for most part. Uh, there's okay. going to be a water crisis. Wars are going to be created because of uh, because of water. Yeah. As, okay. as, as my final theme, Marian, I want to rewind a little bit. So we're talking, we just came from 100 years from now, no, about what we should be uh, remembering and displaying and exhibiting. But uh, now, no, because maybe not Anong martial law museum, no? It hasn't been built. It's been delayed. Yeah. It's in the law. Uh, but uh, I understand that, um, you know, there are a few obstacles left. Anyway, that's, so martial law was declared more than 50 years ago. We're talking about, you know, you had your first job during the early years of martial law. Yes. So you have a very, you have, you have uh, memories of this time, no? So uh, what should this martial law museum contain? Well, you and I, Howie, are part of the democracy and disinformation groups of people. And uh, what I'd like it to contain, aside from details, because, you know, exhibits can have a lot of details, whatever details there are available, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, details of lives, details of, you know, recordings, et cetera, et cetera. But I think curatorially, if there has to be one curatorial point that is to be made to the future, I think it's about our democratic project. The democratic project of the Philippines, which forever, whatever the flaws of our 1898, and I have already painted it as flawed, uh, because it, it it has all the undertones that we talked about today, and even Rizal as a figure from that period uh, mm-hmm. should be really rethought in terms of uh, you know uh, the the birth of nations, uh, how Latino was our nation and et cetera, et cetera. But however flawed it was, I think, uh, it was a democratic project. And that democratic project was severely tried during martial law. It's being severely tried now. And I think that the message should be, let's get down to the facts because we need facts we need scientific accuracy to be able to determine where, what, wherefore democracy. You can't have a democracy without accurate data, right? And mm-hmm. so the link between accuracy, which I've been on and on about this entire interview, scientific accuracy, updated records, updated analysis, and democracy. I mean, that is uh, sine qua non, it, that without which, right? You, you can't have democracy without this. With, without that secularized uh, understanding of data. And so mm-hmm. martial law has to be shown for what happened. Okay. 
anymore for us. Yes. It's just to pursue uh it's just to pursue democracy. Yes. So when you when you say that, no, and 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 this is uh related to what we want the future generations to know and even present generations, no. When you talk about the what happened to the democracy project, I, I mean you're you're referring to, you know, the loss of freedom, you know, people uh, being imprisoned for uh, speaking out, for being for being critical, you know, the, all of the forms of dissent, in you know, the the censorship, you know, the the, the what we lost, no. Uh, but there may be a segment of uh, the population, uh, maybe some curators themselves, who will argue, you know, that's that's not the complete picture of uh, of um, of martial law. If you're talking about a museum that's going to depict uh, that period accurately. Uh, you know, you should also include, you know, large uh, photos of the cultural center and, uh, you know, all the bridges and roads that were built under Marcos and, you know, all the Imelda projects and the, you know, the, the Nutribans and uh, Masagana 99, all the, you know, all of these uh, hallmarks of, uh, you know, what uh, so, what uh, people uh, call the golden age. Would you, as a curator, would you agree to include to include those items? Uh, the reason I won't is because of the definition of curatorship that I gave you at the beginning of our discussion, mm. where I said it's mm. an ethical practice, or it's a practice, mm. to be very clear, it's a practice that grapples with ethical questions. All right. Mm. So what is the ethical question about martial law? Um, you cannot compare, you have to have a really uh, sharp political imagination to be a curator, because you will have to answer those questions about cultural center naman, meron mang Yutriban. Because those are apples and oranges. You, 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 a, a good thinker will not will not compare apples and oranges. No. You will find the zeitgeist of a period and you will find out um, the the destructive nature in culture. I mean, you know, uh, the most destructive things are, are diffused through populations through culture. Uh, that this uh, uh, that what happened to us is not just a theft. It's actually struggling today with this confusion. That is uh, the, the confusion today, the ability of certain actors, very bad actors in our political life, to just spend gazillions of dollars on disinformation campaigns. This is an effect of martial law. This is part of the summa total that we have to make. And part of it, if I were, uh, and I have done this work, uh, is, is to analyze the cultural center and, and what mm -hmm. uh, what's the answer to that question. And my answer to that question, personally, is, is that the cultural center wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth mm -hmm. uh, the money that we spent on it because of everything else that happened to us culturally. The brains that got fried. <laughs> The brains that are being fried right now is still part of martial law. It's still part of the cultural legacy of martial law, which means that this kind of analysis is what needs to be there. It's not apples and oranges. No, I mean, no critic is going to do that. Uh, well, I personally have uh, gone out of my way to, to measure the impact uh, on the Filipino imagination of Imelda Marcos's idea of culture. And part of it is kasaysayan ng lahit. Imagine, that's mm -hmm. a very nice little thing to analyze. Again, it's like the evolution of the species, like, you know, from primitive to 
the sophisticated, but it's like really nasty stuff. It's uh, it's kind of well, it's fascistic and it's, it's Hitlerian. Uh, and I I I I am not uh, averse to using extreme words because it is extreme. Um, no, no, curatorship is not about that. Curatorship is not about this so-called objectivity. Curatorship is asking the ethical questions and trying to answer them. Okay, that's that's clear. And uh, <laughs> on on that critical point, I think we can uh, call it a day uh, in this conversation. Uh, I like your question. It's yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, you had you had uh, some some brave insights there, Marian. Thank you for doing uh, everything that that you do. No, um, uh, the museums and uh, reminding us of our of, of what we should value. No? So, mabuhay ka, Marian uh, Pastor Roses, uh, curator, critic, thinker, museum founder, activist, at marami pang iba. <laughs> Thank you so much. All Thank right, you so much for your time. Thank you, Howie. Hi, I'm Howie Severino. Check out the Howie Severino Podcast, an original for GMA News and Public Affairs. New episodes will stream every Thursday. Listen for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other platforms.